Good morning, church. Good morning. You're very, very welcome to our service here this morning at Levin Hope Belfast. If you'd like to stand to your feet, we're going to worship together. What gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace.
song thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the Oh 
to come before the Lord's table this morning. We're going to sing that verse again that says, Behold the man upon the cross.
Church, you may take your seats as we come before the Lord's table. Morning, everyone. Love that hymn, How Deep the Father's Love. Friends, I tell you, there's nothing to beat the Father's love. We have love, but friends, no love like the Father's love. He loves us this morning. Just uh, a wee first this morning as we come round the table. And it's found in Proverbs. You know, a lot of people, even in the quiz shows, you, you hear questions about a proverb and finish the proverb. But this proverb this morning, it says, A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. No friends, a merry heart. If you want a bit of a tonic this morning, then lift your heart a wee bit. Give your heart a wee smile. And you know, when, it, when, when we're feeling good and we're feeling happy, that's like medicine to the soul, friends. You know, that's uh, one of the wee verses that, that, that was in my heart this morning. A merry heart. Many of us this morning got up and we're saying, oh no, I could lie on here for another hour. I know Reese felt like that this morning. <laughs> But you know, friends, I tell you, when we get up and the sun's shining and the, it's bright, it does you feel good, doesn't it? It makes you feel good inside. But the wee portion that, and the first that I wanted to bring us around the table with this morning, friends. You know, it says, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up into a mountain. Took them up into a mountain. And it says there, Jesus' form changed, friends. It was a, he was transfigured. His remnants became brilliant, brilliant white. And you know, friends, here was Peter's words. Peter said unto Jesus, Lord, Lord, it is good for us to be here. And this morning, as we come round the table this morning, at the end of the service, surely we can say, friends, this morning, it is good for us to be here. Better being here, friends, than I'm going to hang over this morning, isn't it? You know, a young man in the church here this morning, I'm not going to give his name, but he started coming, and he said to me, a lot of weeks ago, he says, Jackie, he says, you know, it's great coming to church, for I, know I don't have any hangovers. And you know, friends, that's why we can say it is good. He can say it is good for us. To be here. The presence of God is here this morning as we come round the table. In Corinthians 
It says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take it. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. I'm going to ask Michael if he would give thanks for the bread this morning. Thank you, Michael. And after the same manner also he took the cup, the money had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread, drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Thank you this morning that we can come round your table this morning. We thank our Lord Jesus for the precious blood that we shed that covers all our sin. And this morning, Lord, we, as we take this uh, cup this morning, Lord, not only do we remember uh, what you've done on the cross, but, Lord, we believe this morning there's healing in this cup this morning as well. And, Lord Jesus, whatever our need is this morning, as we take this cup this morning, you will meet our need. Lord, thank you for the precious bread. Thank you for the precious blood that we shed. Accept our thanks this morning. We ask it in your precious name. Amen. Let's stand and worship together.
teaching us to Church, you may take your seats.
Thank you, Ashley, and thank you, Rebecca, for leading us in this time of worship. If there's any kids of primary school age or younger, in the nicest way I can possibly muster, get them out. <laughs> kids' space is on at the back. Uh, someone will be there to look after them. And we will all collectively get our heads shored. <laughs> I'm glad at 53 I got a good one. Because there would have been pandemonium in our, in our house if Emily had been any way other than she is. It's good to see you all gathered this morning in God's house, around God's word. Uh, we began a new series last week. Pastor Reese uh, led us as we looked at the life of Elijah and Moses. And uh, this morning I have been given by Matt a number of weeks ago, highs and lows in the life of Simon Peter. If you have a Bible, let's turn to Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 22, please. Luke chapter 22. We'll begin to read from verse 54. Then they seized him, that is the Lord Jesus, and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. And then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Let's pray. Father, shut us now in with yourself. We thank you for the church of God. We thank you that in the words of Peter, we are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God. You have called us from marvelous light, from darkness into your marvelous light, and we want to show forth your praise. Lord, bless every head bowed in your presence, every home and family here represented. Open up our hearts. Captivate our thoughts, our imaginations. Take away every distracting notion. And may Jesus Christ be uplifted amongst us this morning. We pray for in his lovely name we ask these things. Amen. I am not a stranger to failure. Christians are not strangers to failure. We are not strangers to failure. I wish that we were. 
But we all know too well from our own experience that there's no one in here this morning who is a stranger to failure. The Christian life is full of failure. We know the disappointment, the sadness at times. I don't think it's too strong a word to say we know a sense of despair because of our own sins. We know what it is to fall short of what God would have us to be. We know what it is to fall short of what we even want to be. We know what it is to uh, fall short of what we have even pledged to be. We know what it is to resolve in our hearts to be faithful in some area of our lives to God only to later feel the pain that comes when we realize that we have failed in that very resolve. But thankfully, if we know Jesus Christ, we also know the promise and the power of the gospel. We know that we stand before our God accepted in the beloved. We know that our acceptance with God is found in his son, Jesus Christ. It is by Christ's righteousness that we as Christians stand before God this morning accepted. The Bible calls it justification. It is the declaration of Almighty God that we are right with him not based upon any works of righteousness which we have done, but according to God's mercy, he has saved us. The righteousness which gives us a right standing before God, brothers and sisters, is an alien righteousness. And by that term, you understand that means it's not from here. It is alien. It is an alien righteousness. It is not ours, it is Jesus Christ's, and it has been given to us. It is the righteousness of Christ given to us as a gift which we receive by faith. That, brothers and sisters, is the promise of the gospel. But not only do we know the promise of the gospel, we know the power of the gospel. We know this morning that we're not the same people that we were before we met Jesus Christ. We know that we have been transformed by God's grace. In the words of 2 Corinthians 5.17, we have been made new creatures in Christ Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come. And although we are still very well aware that we have an ongoing struggle with sin, because here we are, new people still living with this feeling flesh. Here we are, new people, yet still dealing with the flesh every day. We have this ongoing battle with sin. We know the pain. We know the disappointment. We know the sadness of our sins. And yet, brothers and sisters, at the same time, we know we are no longer slaves to sin. Sin no longer has dominion over us. 
The enslaving power of sin by the gospel has been broken in our lives through the power of Jesus Christ. So that now, brothers and sisters, as God's people, we have the ability to choose obedience. In the power of the Holy Spirit, we can know obedient lives as a pattern. Not to the standard of perfection. Not yet. We are still awaiting that day when we will have a perfected life, when we're in God's presence. But even so, brothers and sisters, we can still know the pattern of an obedient life to God. So despite the pain, we know the promise and the power of the gospel. The pain, the promise, and the power of the gospel. We know, brothers and sisters, these realities in the same life. In fact, many times we know these realities in the same moment. Even as we are hurting because we have sinned, we are reminded of the promise of the gospel, the power of the gospel that is at work within our lives. This, brothers and sisters, is the reality of the Christian experience. And through it all, we know our God. There is this growing clarity as it pertains to the faithfulness of God, to the love of God, to the mercy of God, to the patience of God. We realize, brothers and sisters, that through the promise and the power of the gospel, we have been made the objects of God's mercy. And because we are the objects of God's mercy, we are the projects of God's mercy. Because we are the objects of God's mercy, I am a project of God's mercy. And it seems we learn something every day of this mystery of our God, that God is able to take what he hates and use it in our lives in some strange way towards a holy end. That is, he takes even our sin our failures, and he guides us through these things in a way that he develops us at the point of our sin, at the point of our failure, at the point of our pain. We meet with the truth of God that calls us to repentance and to faith, calls us to repentance and obedience, and through that repentance and obedience, what does God do? He grows us. He develops us. He makes us stronger. He takes away those rough corners. And thankfully, brothers and sisters, we're able to look at the perfect record of Scripture and we see that we're not alone in this. This process did not begin with us. We see it in the pages of our Bibles. We see it in people like Peter. Someone who was full of genuine love for Jesus Christ. But someone who at the same time, in the same life, met with many regrettable moments. Loving Jesus, yet failing Jesus. So that in Peter, we see someone who we are able both to admire... And yet we feel this affinity with him because he is us. He is just like us. 
Peter was warned, wasn't he? In fact, he wasn't just warned, he was told. If you go back there, we didn't read it in Luke chapter 22. He was told something and he was promised something. In verse 31, the Lord said, Simon, Simon. He called him Simon when he was behaving like his old self. He called him Peter when he was behaving like his new self. And when he was bouncing between the two, Christ called him Simon Peter. Simon, Satan has demanded to have you. Well, you told him no, didn't you? Didn't you tell him no? No. Satan has demanded to have you that he might shift you like wheat. They would take wheat and put it in this big sieve. They would begin to shake the life out of the thing. Satan wants to shake you, Peter. Give you a right good shaking up. You told him no. No, I didn't. What I did do is I have prayed for you. That your faith will not fail. The man failed. But his faith didn't. And when you are converted, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said, Lord, listen. I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Mm -hmm. I tell you, Peter, before this night is over and the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will have denied three times that you even know me. Peter couldn't believe it. He couldn't acknowledge that he would do this, but he was told. And yet, brothers and sisters, he was also promised that after this failure, there would be repentance, there would be strengthening, both in his own life and then through his own life to others. That God would somehow use this thing, again, that certainly God hated, the denial of his son. Yet God would use this thing in his marvelous sovereignty. He would use it for a holy purpose as Peter meets with truth, repents of his sin, pursues a course of obedience. God would do a work both in his life and through his life. Peter was called to follow Christ in John chapter 1. You can read of it there. Andrew's brother brought him to meet Jesus. Andrew went and he said to Peter, he said, listen, we have found the Messiah. I would love you to meet him. And he brought him to meet Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, so you are Simon. You will be called Cephas or Peter or the rock. The rock. In the lists of the 12 apostles that are recorded for us in the Gospels, guess who's always first? Peter. Guess who's always last? Judas. Peter's always first. He would become one of the pillars of the church. But the course of his journey to that place of stability and strength, a rock-like dependency, it was a series of highs and lows. It was a roller coaster. Through the Gospels, we see Peter true to form bouncing between faith and failure. 
Matthew 16, when the Lord gathers the disciples in Caesarea Philippi, and there they are around the fire, he says to them, fellas, who do people say that I am? In other words, what's the word on the street? What do people say about me? People say you're Elijah. As some people, master, say you are John the Baptist, risen from the dead. And then the Lord says, what do you say? That's what the crowd thinks. That's what the man in the street thinks. But what do you say? You guys, you fellas that know me and sleep with me and walk with me and laugh with me and talk with me and know me, what do you say? And Peter stands up and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Peter says, and the Lord said, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my father, which is in heaven. In other words, Peter, you got this by a revelation from my father. And then Matthew 16 says, The Lord began to tell the disciples that he was going to Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem he would be mocked, he would be delivered over the Gentiles, he would be crucified, and they would put him to death. And Peter may be feeling a wee bit bold because of what the Lord had just said. The Bible says, Peter took him. Can you imagine that? Peter took him. Peter went to the Lord of heaven and earth and said, Come here you, can I have a word with you? And Peter began to rebuke him. See all that talk about the cross and mockery and death and crucifixion? I don't know where that's coming from. That will never happen to you. The Lord turned and looked at Peter and must Who do you think you are talking to? Get behind me, Satan. You do not savor the things that are of God, but you're thinking like a man. Peter came down to earth with a bump. From you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, to get behind me, Satan, in the space of ten verses. In John chapter 6, when the people were leaving Christ in their droves, because the Lord was calling them to commitment. Listen, friend, this morning, if you're in this house and you're not saved, Jesus Christ has to be uncomfortable to you before he becomes comfortable for you. And Jesus Christ for the people was becoming uncomfortable because he was calling them to wholehearted commitment. He said, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no part in me. And they misunderstood to a degree what he was saying. They began to leave in their droves, and he turned to the twelve. John chapter 6 and verse 66, I think it is from memory. And he said to them, will you also go away? Who's the first to speak? Peter. Lord, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Brilliant. In verse 33 that we read in Luke chapter 22, when the Lord had warned them all, when the Lord said, Satan has asked for you, that is plural in Greek, Satan has asked for all of you. But Peter, he's demanded something particularly of you, and because that is the case, I have prayed for you. Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go to prison to you for you. I am ready to die with you. And at least, brothers and sisters, true to his word in our reading this morning, in verse 54, he's following. 
And when I was a kid growing up, I heard preachers come and they would say, well, you see, Peter was following at a distance. And that was the problem. And maybe you're here this morning and you're following at a distance and you need to be closer to the Lord. And that's true. But you can't take that from Luke 54. And as a kid, I remember thinking, give the fellow a bit of credit. At least he was there. He was there. True to his word. He was following. There was 10 others that had cleared off. He was following. He was keeping his distance, maybe attempting to keep a low profile. Matthew tells us he was following because he wanted to see the end. He wanted to see how this was going to turn out. In the Garden of Gethsemane, remember when they came to arrest Jesus, who was it that pulled out the sword and began swinging it all over the place with all the accuracy of a fisherman? He wasn't a soldier, he was a fisherman. And he cut the guy's ear off. And as I've told you before, he wasn't a surgeon. He wasn't aiming for his ear. If he was aiming for his ear, he was brilliant. If he was aiming for his head, he was rubbish. He was aiming for his head. He wasn't just trying to nick off a wee ear. You know, try and give him a bit of a facelift. We'll just bring your ears up. It wasn't that. He was aiming for his head. And in the darkness and in the chaos and in the confusion... Malchus stalked and he caught his ear, caught the side of his head. That was Peter. I am ready to go to prison with you. I am ready to die with you. I am ready to fight for you. And here's the proof. Fisherman with a sword. And again, brothers and sisters, as I read Luke chapter 22 in our reading this morning, what was he doing here in this courtyard at this far with these people? Was it bravado? Was it bravado? Jack the lad. Curiosity. Maybe there's an element of curiosity. As I say, Matthew tells us he wanted to see the end. Was it loyalty? Loyalty? Love. Surely it was love. It was love that drew Peter out. It was love that allowed him to venture to a place and in a way and to a degree that none of the others did. When he saw the Lord walking on the sea, he said, Lord, if it's you, bid me come to you on the sea. And the Lord said, come on, big fella. Well, he didn't say that. I like to think he said that. Maybe it was more holy, but that's just how I read it. Come on, Peter. You see Peter getting over the boat, down into the water, and rather than sinking, he's standing in the water. That was Peter. There was other 11 guys never even got out of the boat. That was Peter. Come on, Peter. That's you and I walk in the water. You ever get the chance to go to Israel and you can take a boat trip on the Sea of Galilee? I love the sign that they had up when we were there. They had up, come and sail where Jesus walked. So that's lovely, isn't it? Come and sail where Jesus walked. That was Peter. It was Peter that got out of the boat. Love brought him to that place. Peter loved his Lord. He did. And he just couldn't walk away. At least not at this moment. He couldn't leave him now. He couldn't desert him. Absolutely. 
He loved his Lord so much that he put himself in the place of danger. Of all of them, on this particular evening, Peter was the bravest. And yet, brothers and sisters, even the bravest on this night would stumble and fall and ultimately fail his Lord. God is never surprised, brothers and sisters, by our failures. We are. I'm surprised I have so much time left just for your encouragement. I have more time and less pages. <laughs> God is never surprised by our failures. We are. We are surprised by our failures. We are surprised by our failures in those areas in which we feel particularly devoted. Maybe it's in that area of sin, you know, where you find yourself, you know, particularly condemning of others. I don't understand how they could do that. I would never do that. Have you ever said that to yourself? You have that in the Old Testament, don't you? Jeroboam, Elijah met him in the field and said, do you know the day's going to come when you're going to kill men and, and women that are pregnant? And Jeroboam was indignant. He said, am I a dog? Am I a dog? Am I such a lowlife that I would do this thing? And do you know what? He did it. I would never do that. I can't understand how they would do that. Just stop, brothers and sisters, this morning and let it sink in. That Peter felt that kind of confidence. He didn't imagine himself to be a perfect man, but deny Jesus? Deny that he even knew him? Not only once and twice, but three times, he said it emphatically, I will never deny you. Never. I am ready to go, let alone, you know, deny you. I'm ready to go to prison with you. I am ready to die for you, with you, if, if, if the occasion demands it. His failure surprised him. It's a good reminder, brothers and sisters, that even a sincere, a sincere over-evaluation of our own strength, it's dangerous for us. A sincere over-evaluation of our own strength, it is dangerous for us. Though we feel it with all of our emotions, though it is deep within our hearts, this st sense of strength and devotion that we know maybe in some area of our lives is still dangerous for us, if we don't recognize in that our potential for failure. Peter displayed presumptuous confidence in the presence of Christ. I mean, did he really think that he knew himself and his moral liabilities better than Jesus? Did he? Did he really think that he knew himself and his moral liabilities better than Jesus? He did. But look in the verses, brothers and sisters, that we, read, we meet. We meet with a man now, not with, you know, presumptuous confidence, but panic-stricken. A panic-stricken denial by Peter in the presence of his enemies. Verse 55, when they had kindled a fire, it was a cold night in the middle of the courtyard, they sat down together. 
Peter sat down among them. I mean, again, brothers and sisters, Peter sat down among them. I read that and I think, you've got to admire the bravery of this man. I mean, so far, so good with his pledge. Sat down among them. Verse 56, then a servant girl, seeing him and looking closely at him, the Greek has it, she was looking intently at him. And, and, and if, if you're in a place where you don't want to be noticed and you don't want to be recognized and somebody begins to stare at you, it's already unsettling, isn't it? Just the way I stared at Elizabeth. It's unsettling if you're trying to hide. So he was unsettled. She's looking at him. You know that. Because what was me, I'd say, what are you looking at? But you can't do that because you don't want to be noticed. Do you want a picture? That's very camp there, wasn't it? Sorry about that. Where were we? Verse 56. Throw that man out. (laughs) She was looking closely at him. She said, this man also was with him. And something happened, brothers and sisters, that I'm sure Peter was not expecting. His heart was flooded with fear. Verse 57, but he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. Do you know where I read that? And I thought, wow. I don't know who you're talking about. Here's the thing, brothers and sisters, again, that I look at in the white spaces between the lines. Why didn't he go just then and there? I mean, if I was there and that was me, I'm away. I'm getting out of here. It's getting too hot in here. I'm getting out. He didn't. He sat on. He can't admire him. He sat on. It's a close call, I'm away. No, verse 58, and a little later someone else saw him. You also were one of them. And Peter said, I am not. Verse 59, after about an hour, she's still here. Someone insisted this guy was sure. And actually in John's account, John 18 and 26, the man who recognized him the third time was actually a relative of Malchus, the guy whose ear he had lopped off. I mean, you talk about the providence of God, of all the people there, it's a relative, a relative of the guy whose head you try to cut off with a sword. He's dead sure, he insisted, you are one of them. You've got that Galilean accent. And while he was still speaking, while Peter was saying, listen, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know what you're all about. I don't know this man. While the words were still coming out of his mouth, the rooster crowed. If I was in a black church now, black preacher, I would have a rooster crowing for a fact. The rooster crowed. Listen, you heard it here first. God is sovereign over roosters. Sovereign over planets, stars, people, fish, worms, birds, roosters. 
And at the same time, the Lord being led out now from the courtyard, turned and looked at Peter. Peter remembers, it dawns on him. He said this would happen, and then he went out and he wept bitterly. What a moment. There it is, brothers and sisters, the rock had finally crumbled. Now, those of you this morning without sin, I have a big bag of stones. Why don't you form an orderly queue and take one and we'll all begin to throw stones at the memory of Peter. Who's going to be first? Anyone? No one? Anyone? Anybody at all? Come on. Someone here this morning and you've never denied Christ. You've never stood in company and preserved yourself. Thought about it this morning, lying in bed. Do you know the first time I did it, I was just a kid, I wasn't long saved. I was getting a taxi down to the Bible study in Zion, in Canmore Street, and some of my friends came. We got the taxi at the corner of Benview Park and Benview Drive, just near the blue houses there where the Youth for Christ is. At that very bend, the taxis used to stop, and I stood there getting the taxi down to the prayer meeting, and I saw some of my friends from school, and I hid my Bible. Shame to say it, I hid my Bible. At the time you were only 14, even so. But we read Gideon's Bible and I hid it in my denim jacket. You see, here in this incident, brothers and sisters, we are brought face to face, not only with the declension of Peter, but with the fact of our own personal weakness. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. If you remember, remember Franco Zeffirelli's four-part dramatization, Jesus of Nazareth, that was on TV in the late 70s. Franco Zeffirelli captures this moment beautifully. He has Jesus Christ coming out and, and the moment when he turns and just looks at Peter. And he's, he's, he's bound. His eyes were already swollen because he's been punched. He's been slapped. He's been spot upon. He's beginning to bear the marks of the abuse at the hands of these wicked men. And he looks at Peter. What do you think Peter saw in the eyes of Christ? Condemnation. I don't think so. Wasn't it Jesus who told the story of the two lost sons in Luke 15? Two lost sons. One was lost in the house. The other was lost in the far country. But make no mistake about it, both of them were lost. And you can be as lost sitting within the four walls of living hope as you'll ever be lost sitting in the bar in the Shangle Road. You can be lost in the house. And remember the guy who was in the far country came and Jesus said the father saw him. He ran to meet him. And he embraced him. He put a ring in his finger and shoes in his feet and began the party. It was Christ that told that story. It was Jesus Christ that John says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them right to the end. So do you think that now, 
Because they say with his eyes already swollen, the marks of mockery beginning to show on his face, that he looked through those eyes in condemnation now at this big fisherman from Bethsaida. Not for a moment. He looked at Peter with the eyes of compassion. He followed, he denied, he remembered, and he wept. But of course, brothers and sisters, it would be wrong for us to finish here because this was part of Peter's salvation. God's plan for Peter, indeed God's plan for all of his children, is our perfection. We are God's workmanship, as I said earlier, being objects of his mercy. We are therefore projects of his mercy. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. We are being saved every day from the power of sin. And one day when Jesus comes, we will be saved from the very presence of sin. And so day by day, and declension, or sorry, decision by decision, and life situation by life situation, despite our failures and our sins, what is Jesus doing? He is building into us the very character of his Son, and his building work takes place in the realm of humility. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The Lord, as he's teaching us, and developing us, and guiding us, and showing us, he is also at work within us, humbling us, by showing us who we really are, so that we can take hold of who he really is. Who are you, Peter? Are you someone who couldn't deny me? Are you? You're not, Peter. You are someone who is very capable of denying me three times. And when our Lord rose from the dead and Mary Magdalene encountered the angel at the empty tomb, the angel told Mary in Mark 16 and 7, I know you've come to find the Lord. He is not here. He is risen as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. But don't stay here, Mary. Go and tell my disciples and Peter that I will meet you in Galilee. Peter gets a special mention. Wouldn't go tell my disciples? Wouldn't that have covered it? Of course it would. Christ knew that Peter was one of them. The enemies of Christ knew that Peter was one of them. They said, you're one of them. You're one of them. You're one of them. He said, I'm not. You go and tell my disciples and Peter. I'll meet him in Galilee. And there in Galilee, you know the story, you can read it yourself. In John chapter 21, Jesus sat down with Peter. He said, Peter, do you love me? See, every time I read that, I think, why do you care? I mean, you've risen from the dead. You've conquered sin, hell, the grave, death. You're the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth. Why do you care? whether this big, crude, rough fisherman loves you or not. Isn't it lovely that he cares? If you're here this morning, don't think that you're lost in the crowd. God cares. Jesus Christ cares as to whether or not you love him. Do you love me? Yes. Peter, do you really love me? Yes. The third time the Lord asked him, the Bible says Peter was grieved. And you know what he did? And I love this about Peter. He appealed to the Lord's omniscience. He said, Lord, 
You know all things. All right? You know. I love you. See, in my failure, brothers and sisters, in my days of guilt and despair and disappointment, I have knelt and said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. From a wee boy looking at my children's Bible, captivated with the pictures of the Savior and doing little drawings as we approached Easter, you captivated my heart. You know I love you. I have more questions today than answers, but you know I love you. The Lord said to Peter, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Recommissioned them, send them out. Beloved, our time is gone. A gracious God who makes you his child and chooses you before you ever born. And then brings you to himself and secures you by the finished work of his son. This God is at work in such a way in your life that those things which break your heart and break his, he then by his grace and power turns those things to develop you, to make you into something that you would not have otherwise been, to use you for his glory in the days that follow. Because if indeed you are saved, what do you do with your sins? You repent of them. You turn from them. You embrace the way of obedience that God sets before you. This means, brothers and sisters, that despite our struggle with sin, despite our disappointments in ourselves, despite our failures, our future is one of hope because God will finish what he started. And Philippians 1 and 6 says, He that begun a good work in you will perfect it right until the day of Jesus Christ. He started it, he'll finish it. He'll keep me in the middle of it. And of all the lessons we learn from the life of Peter, his highs and his lows, surely, brothers and sisters, this is the dominant lesson. It wasn't Peter that changed himself. See, sometimes folk who come around church and they begin to, if you like, become spiritually aware, their first instinct is to say, you know what, I'm going to have to sort myself out. I'm going to have to be better. I'm going to have to stop this. I'm going to have to start this. I'm going to have to come not only a Sunday morning. I'll maybe peep in on a Sunday night. Fair enough, but listen, you'll never become a child of God like that. Never in a million years or a month of Sundays. Peter didn't change himself. Jesus Christ changed Peter. If my life is going to be transformed from what I am by nature into what I am called to be by grace, Jesus alone can do it. The story of Peter doesn't end with the collapse in the courtyard. It doesn't even end with the breakfast on the beach where his threefold denial is met by a threefold opportunity to affirm his love for Jesus. His life was not defined by his denials, although his life was marked by his denials. The reason, brothers and sisters, that it's recorded for us, the reason that it's recorded is not so that Peter could look back and bury himself in despair over it, but so that he could look back and rejoice in the grace of God that brought him through it. One, one more thing and we're done. One minute. On June the 26th, 1968, Pope Paul VI 
declared that bones that were found under the basilica in Rome were the bones of St. Peter. If you're fortunate enough, brothers and sisters, to go to Rome, and if you're fortunate enough to even get a place on the Scava tour, you can go and see on display a jawbone of the Apostle Peter. Imagine if you could go and see the bones, the holy bones of St. Peter. Wouldn't that radically transform your Christian life? I think if the ghost of St. Peter could come and stand in that basilica, he would say these bones can never cause you to live. All you've got is strength derived from my bones. What I had to discover was this, there was no strength in my bones. Only through what Jesus has done in my life was my life ever transformed. George MacDonald, who was a great inspiration to C.S. Lewis in one of his fantasies, he tells the story of a traveler who came to the old man of the earth. He was wanting new life. And the old man of the earth pointed the traveler to a big hole in the ground. And he said, if you want to experience new life, you need to get in there. And the traveler looked down into the big hole and he said, how do I get in there? There are no steps. And the old man of the earth said, you have to throw yourself in. Can I encourage you all this morning to throw yourself into Jesus Christ? If you're not saved, don't go out those doors without making your peace with God. Alba hanging about, Pastor Reese is here, other elders are here. Don't go, don't go without throwing yourself onto Jesus Christ. Highs and lows in the life of the Apostle Peter. Amen. Worship team's going to come up and lead us in a final hymn of praise. Church, just before we do that, can I remind you that there's a cheesy night meeting this week? So if you turn up, the doors will be locked. But we'll be back the following Tuesday, all right? Um, let's stand and worship together.
let's pray father god we thank you for this time spent in your presence this morning we thank you for the message that your servant has brought us today on the life of peter we thank you for the example we thank you for that reminder today that it's not about our failures but it's about our faith in you and it's not of us and anything we have done but all that christ has done for us we thank you for that and we pray you would keep that on our hearts as we go our separate ways we pray you would keep us safe and bring us back safe this evening in the name of your precious son